previously on Toys for Us. In the 19th century, a new card game, Hanafuda, was invented, which used images instead of numbers, making it difficult for gambling. On September 23, 1889, a 29-year-old Fusajiro Yamuchi opened the doors to his company, Nintendo Kopai, which manufactured Hanafuda cards made up of paintings on cards from the bark of a mulberry tree. If you're wondering about the name Nintendo, it's generally thought that it comes from the Japanese name Nintendo. Roughly translated, Nin means entrusted and Tendu means heaven. So basically, leave luck to heaven. Though it is also said to mean heaven blesses hard work in heaven's hands. Work hard, but in the end it's in heaven's hands. Deep in the mind, we have to do whatever we have to do or even the Hall of Entrusting Heaven. Based on his newfound success, Hiroshi would plan to expand Nintendo into areas outside of playing cards. If Nintendo was going to stay alive, they would have to change their business perspective from cards to toys. In 1965, Gunpai Yokoi was hired as an assembly line maintenance engineer. He worked there for several years before Hiroshi visited the plant and took notice of an invention that he had created for his own personal enjoyment. Yamuchi, whose company was still deep in debt, had found the invention he was looking for, called the Ultra Hand. It was an extending arm that could grasp onto things far away. The Ultra Hand put Nintendo on the map and proved that they can endure in a market dominated by Bandai and Tomy. 1975 would be the year Nintendo would introduce the game that they generally accept to be their first video game, EVR Race. But there was another piece to the puzzle who would come in the form of Shigeru Miyamoto. The man himself. But that's another story. Yep. For another time. And welcome back to the Toys R Us podcast, your weekly history lesson on all the things that grew up by your side. The important things that you had no idea would be so important. It's true. Only in retrospect do you Mm -hmm. you see the importance of these items. I guess that you could say those are retrospectives. (laughs) Ah. My name is Richard Hunt, and with me, as always, is my cousin and co-host, Brian Muth. Hey, everybody. Brian. Yes, sir. This week, we are picking back up where we left off last month with Shigeru Miyamoto. So let's pick it back up, shall we? Let's do it. We return to the 80s. By the 1980s, the business was growing at an alarming rate for Nintendo, both domestically and internationally. I think that's a good way to put it, at an alarming rate. Yeah, it was, because, like, just all of a sudden. Because, like, seriously... I mean, nobody expected it to accelerate like that. It's so close yeah. from the uh, the video game crash. Yeah. You know, yeah. Then- uh, the color TV game system was a steady seller, as was the company's coin-op arcade catalog. The business grew to the point where it began opening offices in its second biggest market, the United States, calling it Nintendo of America. Oh, uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, One of Nintendo's most popular coin-op arcade games in Japan, titled Radar Scope, showed quite a bit of promise in the United States based on pretests, so an enormous number of units were manufactured for Nintendo of America. That's a lot of units. That's a lot of units. When the game fully released, it was an enormous flop. 
forcing an overstock of unwanted units and a potentially disastrous loss in inventory costs. Desperate to prove his talents for game design, Miyamoto was given the assignment to develop a game using the radar scope engine and tech that could easily be converted from the overstock units with little additional costs. Nice. With an extremely small budget, Miyamoto created Donkey Kong. It's Donkey Kong, the arcade sensation, and now you can play it at home. Hello, sweetheart! I'm gonna save ya! Now you can play Donkey Kong on your ColecoVision, Atari VCS, or Intellivision video game system. Donkey Kong has multiple screens, just like the arcade game. You're not gonna stop me, you stupid ape! Play Donkey Kong on your ColecoVision, Atari VCS, or Intellivision video game system. Don't worry, darling! I'll save you! Danky Kang. <laughs> what the fucking Jeopardy question? <laughs> Danky Kang. Zorolda? Princess Zorldo. <laughs> Danky Kong. Danky Kang. That's fucking funny, dude. Boomers. Like, everything is a Nintendo. <laughs> oh, you, you know the funny thing about that is, like, mm-hmm. I'm not, like, bagging on my dad or anything, uh-huh. but he'd always chop off the, the, the N from Nintendo. He'd uh, always call Nintendo? it a Nintendo. Like a little fucking I'm like, kid. I'm like, there's... Can the, I play the Nintendo? It's like, Pops, there's an N there. <laughs> God. That's the only N word you want to hear from an old white man. <laughs> it's Nintendo. Yes. It's true. Oh, man. Um... The units were quickly switched over to Donkey Kong, and it became an instant historic success. This made Miyamoto into Nintendo's top game producer and the dominant force in the coin-op arcade market. The big dog. Big dog. But before we push forward, let's talk about Miyamoto himself. The man, the myth, the legend legend. himself. Shigeru Miyamoto was born on November 16th, 1952, in the rural town of Sonobi located northwest of Kyoto in Japan, to Ajaki Miyamoto and Hinako Arura uh, as their second child. Little Miyamoto developed a knack for doodling, and many times his studies would take a backseat to this hobby. I understand that. Oh, big time, dude. Seriously. Big fucking time. Like all my, my, my notebooks or sketch pads. And that's the thing with, <laughs> with all of these creative types and throughout all of our episodes. Mm-hmm. That's the linking factor is, yeah. like, their art was more important than yeah. their studies, you know? Yeah. And for for all of these cases, it worked out for them. I mean, yeah. shit. Um, Hell yeah. He also remained close to nature and explored natural surroundings in the countryside of Kyoto. Such expeditions included discovering caves and water bodies, later motivating him in crafting many of his popular video games, most prominently... The Legend of Zelda. Yeah. He started attending Kanazawa Municipal College of Industrial Arts in 1970, and five years later, he graduated obtaining a degree in industrial design. Hell yeah. Prior to embarking on a video game career, Miyamoto even contemplated a career as a manga artist due to his sheer love for the subject. I bet that would have been an interesting world to live in. Yeah. Yeah. Not as good as the world we currently live no, in, but absolutely it'd be, not. I mean, he'd probably be like, uh, regarded as like, like Ghibli. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, through a mutual friend, Miyamoto's father arranged an interview with the president of Nintendo, uh, Hiroshi Yamuchi. After showing some of his toy creations, Miyamoto was hired in 1977 as an apprentice in the planning department. 
As his protege, Miyamoto shot Nintendo into success at the arcades, and Gunpa Yokai was busily reinventing the home video game market. Hell yeah, he was. Yeah, dude. Just imagine the fucking creative power force at Nintendo in the 80s. Yeah. I mean, it's like there's a reason why they were so fucking. Yeah. You know, like, that was like domination, dude. Unfucking touchable. Yeah. Um, after spotting a businessman messing around with a calculator to entertain himself on a commuter train, Yokoi was inspired to use that same calculator technology to invent a line of handheld video games that became known as Nintendo Game & Watch. Adventure is on the horizon. Stanley's going buggy. Mario Brothers have their hands full. And Donkey Kong's going ape. It's rough seas for Popeye. And Snoopy's gotta get on the ball. But you can help. You got Nintendo Game & Watch. That's pocket power. Widescreen or multi-screen games you can play indoors or out. They tell you the score and even the time. They're pocket power. They're Game & Watch. 14 in all. Only from Nintendo. Hell yes. Yeah. Just iconic, like, even it really down to his is. design, like, yes. it sticks out, you know, you're like, oh, shit. Which is like when they, when they designed the Famicom eventually, mm-hmm. it just looked like a giant yeah, like Game & Watch, yeah. color scheme-wise. Exactly, yeah. It was just a, just a upscaled version. Yeah. These handheld LCD games featured the same display technology as calculators, only with the graphics forming characters and objects instead of numbers. With pre-printed stationary foregrounds and backgrounds, the limited animation graphics could be moved by the player via controller buttons on opposite sides of the screen. The movement button design eventually evolved into the Emmy Award-winning D-pad. Boom. Which, again... Man, just perfection. So fucking good. Yeah. As they grew into popularity, the Game & Watch designs expanded into dual screens, similar with today's Nintendo DS. The Game & Watch was a hit, and soon numerous toy companies were releasing their own LCD handheld games. Even in the so- Soviet Union, clones of the Game & Watch to- titles popped up, mainly because Nintendo wasn't allowed to sell their products within the USSR borders. Ironically, Nintendo's most popular handheld game, Tetris, <laughs> would be created by the Soviet computer engineer Alexei Pajitnov. Pajitnov. Yeah, that's a lot of fucking... I hate when there's a J and I next to each other. I know. It tricks it, your fucking brain. You it know? really like, does. You just fucking yeah. dial-up noises. <laughs> um, after seeing the success and potential of a console system with interchangeable cartridges, Nintendo developed its first multi-cartridge gaming system in 1983, the 8-Bit Famicom, which translates to Family Computer. Which delivered near arcade quality games with far more power and memory than any previous console on the market. Isn't it funny that, like, video game companies sought to give you an arcade, like, experience at home? Yeah. But now arcades have not done the same to simulate at-home experiences in the arcade. Not at all. No. Like, could you imagine, like, a a Last of Us-type game at the arcade? Boy, that would be fucking wild. It would be fucking fun as shit. Yeah. Hell yeah. Like, with a stand-up, like, 
cabinet with like yes. like the, the yeah shotgun like a shotgun or hell or yeah, like, yeah dude Probably dude house of the fucking dead but last of us like oh, dude just like an on rails shooter for so like, good, clickers man. so fucking man. good at first the system released in Japan with failing results but quickly caught on when Miyamoto produced a game taking his popular Mario Brothers into a new style of multi-level adventure Super Mario Brothers oh yeah which is just like it's hard to think about things that are so different than their first part. Yeah. Yeah. Because Mario Brothers is nothing at all like Super Mario Brothers. No. Not at all. At all. Like the only thing that carries over is it's got Mario, Luigi, and there's jumping involved. And Koopas. And Koopas. Yeah. And like the shells. That's it. Yeah. The fucking POW block, I guess, eventually in Super Mario yeah, Brothers 2. But I mean, but that was that just was, a reskin. Yeah, Doki Doki yeah. Panic. Which we'll get... Oh, yeah. We'll get to a Super Mario episode. Oh, yeah. Um, the game was such a huge success that Nintendo quickly bundled it with the Famicom system, which drove sales of the console as consumers bought it just to play the game. This also started Nintendo's long history of packaging their most popular games along with their latest console. Hell, yeah. Which is fucking smart. It's brilliant. So goddamn smart. That gives smart. you, like, a, like, an already, like, an installed base. Yeah. There. yeah. I mean, it's, like... Right from the jump, you got something that's not only awesome, but is of high quality. Yeah. It's like, you don't have to remember, well, what the fuck am I going to play? It's like... Think about how many copies in your life you've seen of Duck Hunt Super Mario Brothers. (sighs) A lot. The limit does not exist. (laughs) It really doesn't. Like, you can go to any type of fucking flea market situation, you're going to find at least 45. Oh, yeah. I go to the flea market, like, as often as I can. Yeah. Yeah, And they're everywhere. Yeah. Especially in the summertime when you get, like, all the outdoor vendors. Oh, yeah, dude. It's like there's always, like, stacks of Nintendo tapes and, like, always shuffled in. But nothing smells like a Nintendo cartridge. No. You know? No. Just, like, that's what childhood smells like, basically. Yeah? It's a Nintendo cartridge. Yeah. Um, Nintendo was seeing a boom in the video game market in Japan, but the U.S. game market was in disastrous shape. As Atari had no way to prevent unlicensed titles from being designed for its system, the Atari 2600, the U.S. market was literally flooded with poor quality games that caused the entire industry to suffer from poor reputation. At first, Nintendo approached Atari to distribute the Famicom in the U.S., but bad blood had formed during their competitive years. So Nintendo turned to Sears, who had originally helped the Atari 2600 establish itself in the market. With video games slumping and a stockpile of unsellable Atari 2600 units, Sears also (laughs) passed. Which, think about this. What company of the two still exists? Boom. In your face, You know? By the end of 1983, the United States video game market crashed, causing most of the major players to go out of business. Convinced that its system could still make a splash in the U.S. market, Nintendo made preparations to release the Famicom itself, taking special care to learn from Atari's failures. As American consumers were turned off by the connotation of a video game system, thinking of low-quality titles previously released, oh, yeah. Nintendo renamed Famicom as the Nintendo Entertainment System. When you get hold of the Nintendo Entertainment System, when you master Rob the Video Robot and meet the challenge of Gyromite, when you shoot the light-sensing zapper, 
When you play the system with the most arcade hits, you're playing with power. The Nintendo Entertainment System. Now you're playing with power. Which is probably like one of the greatest maneuvers oh, yeah, in dude. marketing history. Oh, yes. Just the fucking term Ness. Yeah. And then SNES. Yeah. Like everybody knows. Like you don't have to explain that. You don't. That's like it's one of those things that's just instantly just like recognizable like Coca-Cola. You can see – yeah, you see that fucking shape from across the room. You're yep. like, I know what that is. Yeah, exactly. No, no fucking problem. Yep. Um, and redesigned it to look more like an entertainment center component. Which, again, was smart. Because if you look at the design of the the NES versus the Famicom... Oh, yeah. The Famicom, no offense to Nintendo or the man who designed it, it looks like a toy. It does, yes. Yeah. I mean, the fucking... The controllers are attached to it. It's just... Yeah. But the NES, it... it, It's sleek. It gelled with how home entertainment systems looked Absolutely. You have the gray, you have the black. Mm -hmm. That's all you fucking needed. I mean, it matched every TV that we had when I was growing up. I had, for a while I had a a nest that was the top loading one. You know those are hard to find. Those are really kind of on the rare side of things. Mm. So if you still have that, you might be able to. Yeah, it's somewhere, somewhere in this house. It's you, top loading one. You might be able to uh, parlay that into some cash. Mm. Yeah, those are those are hard to come by. I've never seen one in person. Really? Ever? Huh. Yeah, I don't even know what the fuck. I think that we might have gotten it from like. So my dad worked for a hotel that the guy also owned a trailer park. Right. When it came to situations where like someone passed away or like killed himself and they had no family, oh, they basically just got to keep the shit. Okay. So my dad came home one day with fucking top loading NES and like a shitload of games. I'm like, Phew. like I'm not looking this gift horse in the mouth. Oh no, fuck no. That's how. Shit like that is how he came to like George Carlin because he came home with like one day with like four big <laughs> cases of CDs. Nice. And a fu- there was like at least 12 George Carlin shit in there. I'm like, hell yeah. Okay. I would sit downstairs and listen to George Carlin while I played Final Fantasy VIII. <laughs> Poller. It's just like a simpler yeah. fucking time, man. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, to prevent other companies from releasing unauthorized and low-quality games, Nintendo developed the 10 NES lockout chip that prevented unlicensed games from working on the system. They also devised the Nintendo seal of quality to indicate authorized and officially licensed games. Yeah. That which means- is another thing that's, like, easily recognizable. Yeah. So that gold border with the, the fucking the, spikes on it. Yeah. That's it. That's like, uh... The the other thing that they did was like you know restricting a certain amount of titles that could be released by a by a company every year. Yeah, that's why like you know you had Konami which had the spinoff of Ultra Games, so they could like you know uh, release more games during the year. Yeah, yeah. In 1985, Nintendo first test marketed the NES in New York, and then expanded to Los Angeles, Chicago, and San Francisco. Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. These initial launches were a success, and Nintendo expanded the release nationally across all of the United States. This move immediately reignited the video game market in the U.S. and instantly established Nintendo as the biggest brand name in the business. The big dog. Which, console war aside, console war aside, it's mm-hmm. Nintendo is still, I think, top dog. I will agree with you on that. They've they've stayed consistent. They've learned from their mistakes. Yeah. They they've tried to like 
make up for their mistakes. Yeah. And they're always evolving. Well, I mean, seriously, I mean, look at, look at, like, say, we'll just say even in the last 20 years, mm-hmm. like, a lot of people, like, kind of, like, shit on the N64 and the GameCube. Yeah. But those two consoles were both so revolutionary that they still are, I think, in fact, impacting Oh yeah, the dude. way machines are made and the way games are played. Case in point, you can Analog buy a Nintendo, a Nintendo Switch controller that is a GameCube controller. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That that's saying something. The GameCube controller, in my opinion, is one of the oh, greatest one of the finest. Oh, yeah, dude. Uh, controllers ever. Big time. Fucking big time. Easily. I mean, it's so comfortable. Everything is right within reach. You got those As clunky as the Nintendo triggers. 64 controller is, it's GameCube so is the polar opposite. Exactly. Like, everything has a purpose. Yeah. It's not uncomfortable. No. You can hold that shit for hours. It's the mm-hmm. right fucking size. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like... I can never say enough good things about those shoulder buttons. The fucking PlayStation controller mm-hmm. is, I would I would say, on level with the GameCube controller. Xbox yes. has always been kind of fucking clunky. Actually, I will disagree with you on that. Like, I think, like... The, the first Xbox, Xbox controller... It was Duke? fucking huge, dude. The fucking Duke sucked. I hated it. The The Xbox controller S was good. The Xbox 360 controller was better. Uh-huh. But, like, the Xbox One controller is, like, learning from all of those mistakes, I think. And it's just... It's it's so perfect. Yeah, but then well, you look for at me. DualShock. Yeah. See, now, you don't that's fix, the thing. You don't fix what's really, broken. Yeah. Yeah. Or you don't... Don't fix... Don't does it need to be fixed? <laughs> don't yeah. If it's not broke, don't yeah, fix it. Exactly. Yeah. Like there we go. They added a touchpad to it, which not a lot of games utilize. Right. But it's not hurting anything by being right. Better. Yeah. Um. And there are cool like until dawn and like the follow up have it to where like the motion controls in the controller. Mm-hmm. You have to not move the controller. Ooh. And, like, I learned the hard way playing until dawn that you can't just set the controller down so you're not moving it. Oh, no. Because it vibrates. Oh, no. So you have so to hold that shit straight. Oh. Yeah. Damn. That's fucking smart, though. That's yeah. integrating so much shit. And we'll get to PlayStation and all their pitfalls and everything. Yeah. But controller-wise, I think across the board, Nintendo and PlayStation have been the kings when it turn, when it comes to terms of controller design. I'll give it to you for innovation, yeah. Like, they've... Once once PlayStation found how they want to do things, yeah. they never fucked with it. Yeah. Because basically DualShock 2, 3, and 4 are virtually identical. Well, same thing with, like, well, I don't... There's enough difference between the Xbox 360 controller and the Xbox One controller. And even, to another extent, the... The Elite controllers, one and two. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I don't own an Elite controller because I'm a poor. Um, <laughs> yes. But, uh, yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's a lot of refining that all these companies have done. But all started from that basic design from Nintendo. Yeah. With the D-pad and the two buttons. Yeah. And and that's why they're so well-respected and why they're still such a fucking juggernaut today. Like. Yeah. Absolutely, people. People unfairly look as look at Nintendo as more of a kids, which is bullshit. Console. Yeah, it's big time bullshit. It's big time bullshit. Because I mean, for one, and even if it is, what's fucking wrong with it, dude? Because yeah. your first your first fucking console, odds are, was Nintendo. Yeah, 
Atari Twenty Six Hundred here, but yeah, but I mean, but like, the very immediate one was Nintendo. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what I gamed most with when I was a kid. Right. Fucking Super Smash Brothers Melee. <sighs> it's so, still, I think, it's iconic. The fucking top tiered Super Smash Brothers. It is the pinnacle of Smash. Yeah, it really is. I don't know, man. Goddamn Nintendo. It's true, man. Uh, throughout the 80s, Nintendo continued to hold on to the video game market not only by releasing quality self-published games, including a continual stream of innovative titles created by Miyamoto, but also by requiring third-party titles to go through a strict approval process before allowing a release on the NES. This showed the public Nintendo's commitment to quality over quantity, as its reputation and brand recognition grew. Nintendo became so integrated into the minds of the public, it eventually released its own self-published magazine in 1988, Nintendo Power. Which Nintendo Power does not exist anymore. Which sucks. But it does exist as a podcast. Oh, does it? officially licensed Nintendo Power podcast. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. In 1989, Nintendo released their first and most important portable handheld gaming system, Created by Yokoi, the Game Boy took the market by storm. They said it wasn't humanly possible. All the power and excitement of Nintendo right in the palm of your hand. Introducing Game Boy. It's portable, it's in stereo, and its games are interchangeable. Game Boy comes complete with batteries and the outrageous new game Tetris. And for head-to-head competition, use Video Link and blow your opponent away. Game Boy, only from Nintendo. Now you're playing with power, portable power. With the Game Boy, people began seeing video games as more than just kids' toys. Yeah, and more than a fad. Yeah, oh yeah. Adults started to use the systems to entertain themselves on buses, trains, and subways during long commutes to work. Hell yeah. I mean, who doesn't want to play fucking Tetris on a commute? I know. Except when you go through a tunnel and you can't see shit. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> But so you know you what? Those it's those fucking lights. moments. <laughs> you bring a game, a game Boy on a road trip. Yeah. And you have to just pray for street lights. <laughs> You're like, okay. Play. Okay. Yeah, my parents would never get me Play. a Game Boy when I was a kid, so I had a whole bunch of those Tiger handhelds. Oh, Same principle. Dude. Yes. Uh, well, we'll do a fucking Tiger handheld episode. Believe me. Oh, yeah. Uh, much of the Game Boy's success was due to Nintendo packaging it with the addictive puzzle game Tetris. Plus We're maintaining... Like the yeah. Addictive game. I mean, that's the fucking be-all, end-all. It really is. All of these, like, puzzle games on in, like, the app stores yeah, now. Like Candy Crush and all that shit. Wouldn't exist if not for... No. Tetris. For Tetris. The OG. Boof. Yeah. That sound, man. Fucking love it. Plus, maintaining a balance of titles for both casual and hardcore gamers, even creating styles of games unique to the system. The Game Boy remains the longest-running line of video game systems, and the, the latest and last model, the Game Boy Advance SP, still plays all the original Game Boy Classic titles. I think I still got mine. It's got to be around here somewhere. I have the I, I have the like weird oval shaped one. Oh, okay, that was the OG uh, yeah. GBA. No, that one was was fun. I it's mean, it didn't have a backlight, but yeah. But like with the Game comfy. Boy, when Game Boy Color came out, it came with that plug-in backlight. Yeah. <laughs> Man, 
Just think about how far shit has gone. It's true. Uh, Part of Nintendo's consistent success in beating out the competition was due to some questionable deals allowing for price fixing, third-party exclusives, and retail favoritism. Several lawsuits started flying from consumers for the price flexing, and from Sega, its biggest competitor, who accused Nintendo of forcing the Sega Master System off store shelves via crooked deals with retailers. The courts found Nintendo guilty and required amends to redistribute a large amount back to the consumers and break exclusive deals with third parties and retailers. The state officials charged that Nintendo bullied retailers into selling the Nintendo game for no less than $99.99. They would threaten several things. The primary threat would be the cutoffs of of supply. If you don't adhere to our required price designation, $99.95, you're finished. Nintendo says it didn't do anything wrong but agreed not to fight the charges. Our relationship with our customers is our number one priority. And that's the reason that we reached this comprehensive settlement today. And under the settlement, Nintendo pays a $5 million fine. It also gives customers who bought their games in the past two years a $5 gift certificate toward future purchases of Nintendo products. But Nintendo ended up turning their loss into another victory. It distributed the price-fixing settlement in the form of thousands of $5 rebate checks so consumers had to buy more Nintendo products. <laughs> Those tricky bastards. <laughs> you son of a bitch, I'm in. <laughs> That's basically what they fucking did. Yeah, it's true. Um, and by 1990, the console competition started to rise into a full-born war. With the growing popularity of affordable PC home computers, the introduction of the 16-bit consoles, the Sega Genesis, and the TurboGrafx-16. Nintendo was able to keep the competition at bay with the release of Miyamoto's Super Mario Bros. 3, the best-selling NES title in the system's history. Mario! 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 Super Mario Brothers 3 from Nintendo. Now you're playing with power. It sold over 18 million copies and drove the additional sales of the uh, NES console itself. Man, what a fucking vision that game was, too. God damn, man. Like, I got that on launch day. It was At, at that so point, good. it was the only game I'd ever gotten at like, launch. Yeah. It was like a big deal for me. And I was like, Think man. about like the Easter eggs in Super Mario Bros. 3. Like You oh, hold yeah. down on this one particular block and, and you, you look through the map and, and you're behind it. Yeah. Ahead of its fucking time. Yeah. Dude. Ahead of its fucking time. Yeah, big time. Um, knowing this was only a temporary solution, Nintendo started designing its own 16-bit system. And in the same year, it released the Super Famicom in Japan. The new system was a monster success, selling 300,000 units in just a few hours. Holy shit. Yeah. That's a lot of units. A year year later, the Super Famicom was released in the United States as a Super Nintendo SNES. 
There's that over there. Ooh, I just love all the new things Kmart has here. Oh, I can see that. So that's the new Super Nintendo Entertainment System. What about it? They say it has 16-bit technology, whatever that means. Oh, I see. What else do they say? That it has 3D graphics and digital stereo sound, and that Super Mario World is included. Okay, okay, we'll get it for them. So, how long did he work on you? About two weeks. But its debut was long after the competition had already established themselves in the market. Eventually, the SNES would finally overtake the industry again, with the Sega Genesis landing the number two slot. Which, I will say, the Sega Genesis had a much cooler design than the SNES. Yes. Like, it looked cool as shit. Yeah, it really did. SNES just looked like, okay, this has two switches on it. Yeah. Some asshole's gonna fucking restart this game when I'm beating him at something. Yeah. Which happens all the fucking time. Yeah, it's true. But the Genesis is like, oh, fuck. This looks like it should be called the Genesis. It really does. Yeah. Uh, By the mid-90s, game consoles were starting to integrate PC technology into console development for a new generation of superior game systems, especially the new hot CD-ROM discs. Ah. These discs could hold more information, resulting in superior graphics, deeper gameplay, and broader experiences. No loading, or it would... They would hide the loading. It would hide the loading. Like Silent Hill so beautifully does. Yeah, and Resident Evil with the yes. fucking doors. Dude. <laughs> so the competition began releasing disc-based consoles with 64-bit technology. Boom. Although Nintendo researched the possibilities of releasing their own disc-based system, they opted out and chose to stick with the video game cartridges and released the Nintendo 64 in 1996. Look at that. Let me see. What's got these guys so excited? Unbelievable. Player's Choice Games for N64. Mario Kart, Wave Race, Star Fox. Oh, man. Cruising USA, Super Mario. I think I'm in love. Each one of these great games is $39.95. What's going on here? And each one is a million seller. You can look for the Player's Choice logo. Although the Nintendo 64 cartridges were far more costly than CD-ROM discs, the loading times were dramatically reduced as the cartridges were capable of delivering the information almost instantly. Discs required the system to move the laser around around the disc and locate and slowly load the game information. The N64 was also the first home console in Nintendo's line to feature an analog or thumbstick on its controller. Yet again, something that is now an industry standard. Yeah, you have to have it. Oh, yeah. Like, my controller... I bought my controller, like, three years ago. Yeah. And it's it's starting to, like... If you just leave the controller sitting there, mm-hmm. the camera will pan to the left. Oh. Uh, so it's, like, almost time to buy a new one. Yeah. My uh, my Xbox One controller is starting to, to shift like that, too. Yeah. But, it's, I mean, like, it's one of these things where I've had the controller, like, three or four years. Yeah, so exactly. it's had a good fucking life. Like, I've beaten a lot of fucking games with yeah. that thing. It's yeah. Like, you think about that, you're like, wow. It's got a lot of miles on it. You just don't think about, like, shit like that. Like, how many hours have you held your controller, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, the N64's release was a bit of an odd one. While it sold extremely well in North America with 500 units in its first four months, it was the first Nintendo console to get a cold reception in Japan. Ooh. Although the N64 exceeded Sega's disc-based console, the Sega Saturn, which is underrated. It is. Uh... 
Sony had released its own video game system, the Sony PlayStation. With lower manufacturing costs, the PS1 outsold the N64 by less than 10 million units, making it that console generation's winner by a nose. For the first time in companies in the company's history, Nintendo's console dropped to number two. That is something that I really didn't anticipate saying. Yeah. Like, I thought that they were going to fucking Forever eat, be- eat Sony's lunch because yeah. it's like... Who are these fucking assholes? Sony, what the fuck? Man, come what on, now, son. Man. Sony brought it. Sony fucking brought it. Uh, the same year Nintendo 64 released in Japan, Nintendo suffered another loss with the Virtual Boy. Ooh. It came from the third dimension with its own brain. Its own voice. Its own legs. There's only one problem. It needs your eyes. Virtual Boy. See it now in 3D. To try and leverage the virtual reality craze, creator Gunpa Yokai wanted the Virtual Boy to be the first gaming system to deliver a true 3D experience via shutter goggles and a moving mirror system. From its launch, it was plagued with problems, um, and Nintendo forced Yokai to rush the system's release, causing many cut corners. While it was marketed as a portable virtual reality experience, it didn't quite hit the mark and caused many players to get headaches. Oh yeah, strained necks. Oh god. The failure of the Virtual Boy drove a wedge between Yokoi and Nintendo uh, president Hiroshi Yamuchi, as both blamed the other for the system tanking. Yokoi stayed with Nintendo through 1996 to see the launch of the Game Boy Pocket, a smaller version of Yokoi's Game Boy system. And once the Game Boy Pocket was completed, the man once considered the Thomas Edison of video games, severed his 30-year relationship with Nintendo. The Thomas Edison of video games without being a fucking asshole. Yeah. So let's say the Tesla of video yeah, games. Yeah, okay. Because, you know, yeah, that works better. Uh, and that is where we're going to blue ball you with oh, another fact in the box. <laughs> blue balled part two. The NES held the record for the most console sales in history all the way through 2006 when they released the Wii. Fucking A. Uh, Paul Rudd appeared in a Power Glove commercial. Yeah. Game Boy was the first video game console to be played in space. The player? Russian cosmonaut Alexander Serebrov. Nice. The game? Tetris. Tetris. Naturally. A lawyer named John Kirby won a case for Nintendo in 1984, and to thank him, the company bought him a boat, along with the exclusive worldwide rights for the use of Donkey Kong as a name for a sailboat. <laughs> <laughs> What's your boat name, Donkey Kong? Wait, doesn't okay. that? No. Nope. I have exclusive rights. I have exclusive rights. Uh, Nintendo re- nearly released a knitting add-on for the NES. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was going to be called the Nintendo Knitting Machine, a device that would have connected to the NES and allowed players to create and print their own designs. You're looking at the Nintendo Knitting Machine, the ad reads. It's not a game, not a toy. 
Not something a young girl can outgrow in three or six months, or even a year. It's a machine that interacts with the powerful Nintendo Entertainment System to actually knit sweaters. And not just one or two patterns, but a multitude of different and unique designs. The Nintendo Knitting Machine is just one more example of the innovative thinking that keeps Nintendo on the cutting edge of video technology. It continues. And your customer is on the edge of their seats. Of course, we should probably mention that no other video game system offers anything even remotely similar. Nah. But why needle the competition? <laughs> According to Phillips, original Nintendo of America president, Minoru Arakawa, asked him to pitch the peripheral to Toys R Us chairman Charles Lazarus, Charles, Ra- Charles Lazarus in a live demo which he humorously describes as one of my least genuinely enthusiastic demos. (laughs) While no reason for the cancellation of the knitting machine has been revealed, Phillips added that it was shown off at the 1987 Winter Consumers Electronics Show to gauge retailer demand, and then forgotten. Phillips also noted that while the Nintendo knitting machine was never released anywhere, pattern editing software was released in Japan in 1986 for the Famicom Disk System, while it didn't include the peripheral, Phillips said with a wink in the comments of the photo that the Famicom disc software alone was a hit in Japan, likely because every father who bought a Famicom disc system purchased the knitting software, too, in order to help justify the purchase. <laughs> so no, I got you this to knit! Yeah, I mean... Yeah, it probably didn't fly over there very well. You can start a podcast about knitting called The Knitwits. The Knitwits! Hello! <laughs> And so, we reach the end of part two of Nintendo. There will be a part three. Oh, yeah. We're and not, not going to leave you two blue-balled for long. Yeah. Sorry, no. John. <laughs> you got to do it, you know? Yeah. Got to keep them coming back for more, right? That's right. Uh, if you like what you heard and you like what you learned, you can consider doing the following. You can follow us on all social medias. We're at Toys R Us Podcast across the board. You can leave us a five-star rating and review anywhere you listen to podcasts, but most especially Stitcher and Apple Podcast. They're the fucking Miyamoto of podcasts. They really are. They're they're, they're big dogs. Or you become a patron by heading on over to patreon.com slash Toys R Us podcast. Until next time, remember that until Donkey Kong, no video games had a jump feature. Oh. And remember, you will always be a Toys R Us kid. I'd like to take the time out to thank our patrons. We couldn't do this without you. So, thank you to Jeremy, Jessica, Nicole, Amy, Nicole, Nicole, Juanita, Sabrina, Shannon, and Steven. Thanks a bunch, guys. Her boyfriend, he don't know anything about Nintendo, 5% tint, so you can't see up in my window. Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, when I was dead broke, man, I couldn't picture this. Roll around on my living room floor, I play Nintendo and smoke my endo. Smoking endo, playing that Super Nintendo, just like